Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to the special edition of All Things Catholic. We are live here in the great city of Rome on pilgrimage, standing outside the magnificent church called Chiesa Nova. Can you all say it with me, Chiesa Nova? Okay, the word Chiesa Nova, these two words in Italian mean new church. New church. This is a new church. By Roman standards, that is. This church, this new modern church, was built in 1605. <laughs> so their view of new and modern churches is very different than what we may have in the United States and Canada. But What's magnificent about this church isn't just its newness by Roman standards, but by the newness of faith that emanated from this church with one great saint that resided here and helped transform the city of Rome in a time of great trial, lukewarmness, and, 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 and a lot of decline and decadence in faith life here in the city of Rome. And that saint is St. Philip Neri. So I want to tell you a few things about St. Philip Neri to get a sense of who this man was. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes for us to chew on that we could take away and apply his wisdom to our own daily lives. And then I want to tell you about a couple of gems that we're going to find inside this church. So first of all, I would like to say that St. Philip Neri is a saint of the new evangelization of the new evangelization, the new evangelization that Paul VI planted the seeds for and John Paul II proclaimed, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis have continued to further. The new evangelization is all about not evangelizing and, 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 and all of a sudden as if the church hadn't done that before. The church has been evangelizing since Pentecost. It's all about using new methods using new approaches. It's a fresh proclamation of the gospel to people who may be baptized, who may go to church every once in a while. They might go every Sunday. They might even volunteer and sing in the choir. But Jesus isn't the number one thing in their life. They believe in God. They would check off on a survey that they're a Christian or maybe even a Catholic. But their faith is a part of their life. It's not the center of their life. And John Paul II especially saw this challenge in our modern world, that there were many people who were identifying as Catholics, even participating to various degrees in their parishes, and yet they were formed in their mind and in their heart, their, the way they view the world, their desires, what they want for in life. They were formed more by the secular world than they were by Jesus. They were formed more by secular values. They're formed more by Hollywood and the, the news and what they watch on YouTube and what they listen to on iTunes. They were formed more by that and their desires and outlook on life and what they wanted to aim for in life than they were by the catechism and the gospels and the life of Christ. And so it's, it's a challenging time. What is, I mean, most fundamental things like what is love? What is friendship? What, what brings us happiness? What does a successful human life look like? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What is true beauty? These fundamental questions in life today are very much being undermined by the secular mindset. And John Paul II said that today there are whole sectors of the baptized that are shaped more by the secular world than by the gospel. 
And so he called for a new evangelization, which was taking the timeless truths of Christianity, but applying them in a new way to the modern age, addressing their questions and appealing to their hearts and minds. So I would argue St. Philip Neri, centuries earlier, was also doing a kind of new evangelization work in Rome. So here's the great city of Rome. This is where all the popes and the cardinals were living. And, and yet there was a lot of laxity in, in the faith in Rome at that time. There are a lot of leaders in the church that were living a very mediocre Christian life. Uh, and there was a lot of double standards that were being lived out. Uh, there was a lot of decadence in the city of Rome. And Philip Neri wanted to light a fire of faith in this city. So I'm going to tell you about some things he did. He is a great patron saint for young people. So if you have children, grandchildren that you really want to grow in their faith, pray to St. Philip Neri because this man loved the youth. He spent time with young people all around Rome and he would invite them and he got involved in their lives. He, got, he invited them for meals. They really shared life together. They would have meals together. They would pray together. They would sing together. And then they would go out in the evenings. And you know what they would do? They would go out on a little pilgrimage. They'd go visit a church at night. Or they'd go out to the catacombs for the day. Or they would go visit one of the basilicas. So he's also a great patron saint for us on pilgrimage. Because that's what he did. He took young people on pilgrimage. He met them in the midst of their life and journeyed with them on a physical pilgrimage to various churches in Rome. But more than that, he journeyed with them, accompanied them in the pilgrimage of life. Listening to their problems, involved in where, where they were, and then showing how the gospel message can, can help them and be a blessing to them. So we can think about that with St. Philip Neri. But I want to tell you some stories of St. Philip Neri. I want to tell you some practical nuggets of wisdom that he offers us. There's one of my favorite stories you may have heard before. If you ever struggle in how you use your speech, the words you say, do you tend to gossip? When you're talking about people at the parish, oh, well, the pastor always does it this way, or oh, the DRE this way. Do you get into parish gossip? Do you get into gossip in the, in the workplace? Oh, the boss is asking, oh, management wants this. Do you find yourself having negative critical speech of the people around you? Do you find yourself complaining sometimes? You tend to complain, or you're a whiner, oh, I can't believe this is happening, or why is this happening? How do you use your words? Do you use your words truly to build up to build up the community, to, to, to help us focus on what is good and what is true and what is beautiful, to lift our spirits. Do you use your words that way or do your words tend, through complaining or criticism or gossip, tend to tear down the community, tend to lower our, our, our conversations? How do you use your words? St. James says our words, our tongue is like fire. And fire can be a wonderful thing in a nice fireplace. Or in the, you know, in, in the stove, you're cooking something, you know, so fire can be a good thing, but if we're not careful, fire can actually tear down and destroy. St. Philip Neri once had someone come to confession to him, and the woman tells the story later what happened. She confessed the sin of gossip, and then Philip Neri told her, here's what I want you to do for your penance. Before I even, you know, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and get your feather pillow from home. I want you to come back to this church and I want you to go up to the bell tower and then I want you to rip open the feather pillow and shake out all the feathers and then come back and talk to me again in the confessional. And she's probably thinking, okay, that's a bizarre 
kind of penance. I've heard of an Our Father, a Hail Mary, a Glory Be, but go get your feather pillow and shake it open on top of the bell tower? Well, I guess I gotta do it. So she goes and does it. All the feathers go scattering in the wind. Then she comes back down to the confessional, says, okay, I did what you asked me to do. And he said, now I want you to do one more thing. I want you to go out into town and get all the feathers back. And she said, oh, I, I can't. They're, they're scattered by the wind all over town. There's no way I'm going to get all those feathers back. And Philip Neary says, that's what happens when you fall into the sin of gossip. Once those words come out, you can never, ever get them back. They are out there in people's minds and in their memory, and you can never get them back. So let's say, let's say something, uh, let, let's say, um, Chris, I'm going to use you as an example, one of our pilgrims here. Let's say Chris and I grew up from, in high school together, we went to college together, we worked together, and all of a sudden Chris comes up today and says, you know, that Dr. Sri, he, he wants to be a nice theologian and take us on pilgrimage, but do you know what he did in high school? Oh, yeah, and he, he claims to be this, like, really good, you know, teacher of the faith, but in his private life, do you know he does this and this and this, and he does this and this and this, and he once even did this, and he still struggles with this? So Chris can come up and say those words, and all those feathers are out, and they've gone in your ears, they've gone into your mind, and they reside in your memory. Now, let's say Chris feels bad about that, and he goes to confession, and then he wants, to, he wants to set things right. Can he get those feathers? Can he get those thoughts out of your mind? Can he find a vacuum and go, oh, I want to suck out those, those memories? No, they're there. They're there long for many years to come. It could be a decade from now. And you may remember me and you'll remember those words that were spoken about me and these bad things I, you know, was claimed that I did. And even after I die, you may have those memories. You read in the newspaper, Edward III died, you'll remember some nice things about me, but you'll remember also those things. That's why in the Catholic tradition, sins of speech are sins against the fifth commandment, thou shall not kill. And there's a sense, a sense in which sins of speech are worse than murder, in a sense, this way, that you could kill someone's body, but their reputation lives on longer. <laughs> Even after the person dies, their reputation continues, and you may still have those thoughts. You know, recently I was with a, a, a group of sisters from the Missionaries of Charity doing a retreat for them on, on the Passion Narratives. I think many of you know I've had this Bible study out on Christ's Passion that we filmed in the Holy Land, and one of the, one of the points I was reflecting on was how at that moment in, in the trial before the Sanhedrin, all the Sanhedrin are mocking Jesus. Do you remember that? And I remember this sister came up to me afterwards and she says, Dr. Shree, to me that's the hardest part of the passion. Each year the, the, the community asked me to teach on Christ's passion to the poor people we serve. And I could teach about the scourging when he was beaten so horribly physically. I could teach about his crucifixion with the nails going in and him suffocating to death on the cross. I can teach all that part, but when I get to this scene, I just start to cry. Why do I always cry at this scene? Why is it that I, 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 it's so hard for me to teach this scene? <coughs> and I asked her, well, what are you feeling? What are you thinking when you teach this? She goes, why are they treating Jesus like this? Why are they making fun of him? Think about that. They go up, they spit at him. They mock him. They slap him on the face. They blindfold him and hit him and say, prophesy to us, O Christ. Who is it that struck you? And I think what this missionary of charity sister was intuiting so beautifully is that 
When we use our words to ridicule, to tear down, there's a sense in which that's worse than if you were to physically strike that person. Because you're striking not just at their body, you're striking at the core of who they are, their personhood, their character. Uh, so let's really be careful how we use our words of speech, realizing those feathers go out and we can never get them back. I want to give you one other theme, one other thought to think about from St. Philip Neri. One of my favorite quotes from St. Philip Neri here. He says this, he says, Never try to evade the crosses that God sends you, for you will only find a heavier one. Never try to evade the crosses God sends you, for you will only find a heavier one. Now I want to be clear about this. When St. Philip Neri, when he says the crosses God sends you, he's not saying that God's up there throwing crosses at you. He's not like Zeus with lightning bolts. And it's, it's Philip Neri simply recognizing the truth that because of sin in this world, original sin, there's brokenness in this human family. There's illness, there's disease, there's division within the human family, division within our souls. So there's going to be suffering. Everyone is going to have a share of the suffering that we human beings have brought into the world. Some of us may have more uh, uh, participation in that suffering than others, but we're all going to have suffering. And Philip Neri is saying that God wants to bring good even from suffering. The God of the universe can even use the little or big crosses we face in life. He can use them for our good. And so Philip Neri says, don't try to evade the crosses God sends you. So the next time something's going wrong, this didn't turn out the way you planned, you're experiencing a kind of suffering, a kind of disappointment, you're frustrated with something, whatever this may be, don't try to, our tendency is to try to evade it. I just want to run away from it, I want to fix it, I want to get around it, but maybe pause and realize God can use this for some good. There might be some good he wants to bring out in my life. He's allowing me to experience this inconvenience so I grow in greater patience. He's allowing me to experience this failure so I can grow in humility. He's allowing me to experience this challenge so that I can grow in courage and determination and persevere through this difficulty and continue to fight on. Or maybe he's allowing me to experience this pain and suffering in my life so that I can have more compassion on other people that are suffering. No matter what's happening on the outside of our lives, God can use it for some good on the inside. That's the message of St. Philip Neri. But when we run away from the crosses that come our way, what's going to happen? Are we ever going to run away from all suffering? We're never going to do it. We're going to find other crosses over here. But these crosses over here is not where Jesus is. Jesus is over here. He wants to help me carry this particular cross, and I'm running away from Jesus. So I'm only going to find a heavier cross. It's in the midst of the challenges that come our way in God's providence that, that God can bring about some good and we can encounter Christ at a deeper level. So those are two thoughts that I want you to keep in mind as we're about to go into this great church, Chiesa Nova, and we're going to go to the tomb of St. Philip Neri. It was here that he lived. He lived here. And he celebrated Mass here. In fact, on his feast day, you can go up to his room. You can go up to his room and you can see this is where he had mass. This is his breviary. These are the many letters from the cardinals and, and popes that he was a spiritual advisor to in Rome. That's a pretty good thing to have on your resume. <laughs> I'm the spiritual advisor to the pope, uh, to, to the various bishops in Rome. So... Uh, a great miracle took place here, a couple of them. One, when he was celebrating Mass, he was known for levitating. <laughs> he'd often levitate, he'd be in ecstasy, 
And sometimes, like the, the altar servers, the altar boys, they'd have to leave for an hour and take a break because he was just in ecstasy levitating in the middle of mass. So he preferred to, over time to not do mass in public because of the, he would just be raptured in ecstasy. That's an interesting thing. But another thing happened. One time he had this vision of this big globe, this ball of fire that came in and entered into him, into his mouth, into his body, and then it burst open and, and broke his ribs. He actually had broken ribs from this, but his heart was enlarged. So Philip Neary had his heart enlarged, and it was uh, an amazing uh, experience of physically expressing what was happening already spiritually in his life. Philip Neary had a big heart for God, a big heart for young people, a big heart for the people in Rome. And then in this miracle of his heart enlarging, it, it, is, it, it was a kind of God's way of showing us, look at the, the, the spiritual big heart that St. Philip Neri had. And you can actually see his heart in his room right here at Chiesa Nova. Uh, so that, that's another great thing for us to think about. So if you want a big heart, if you want a big heart like Philip Neri, keep in mind the two lessons that we talked about. Many things to think about here, but I'm going to just give you those two nuggets. Once again, think about how you use your words. Do you use your words to praise others, to honor other people, to acknowledge good things that they've done? Do you use your words to thank other people, to express gratitude? Do you use your words to bring cheer, to lift up people's spirits? Or do you tend to use your words to complain, to notice the shortcomings, to criticize, to tear down, to grumble? Think about how you use your words. And then secondly, think about those crosses that may come your way. And ask Jesus to help you not run away from the crosses that in providence God's allowed you to experience. That you may encounter Jesus in the crosses and not run away from them for you'll only find a heavier one. So let's close in asking our great saint to pray for us. Saint Philip Neri, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who's ready to go inside this church? Amen.